Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factor, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Ding. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. Today's episode, I think, is going to be one of the most important ones that we've had on this show. As amazing as all of the speakers have been, we have been trying to cover cybersecurity specifically ever since I started this podcast. I think it's critical to an organization, not just in terms of your online presence, but in terms of your trust and your credibility with your supporters, with your donors, with your volunteers, and anybody who might be visiting your website or examining your online storytelling in one way or another. I've been trying to get our guest today on the show pretty much since we started the show, but he's been incredibly busy and trying to coordinate schedules has been tougher than just about anybody else I've been getting onto the show. So I'm really excited to have Joshua Pesquet on the show. Josh is the VCIO and cybersecurity at Roundtable Technology. He has spent nearly three decades leading technology change for over a thousand nonprofit organizations. Joshua is especially dedicated to improving cybersecurity in the nonprofit sector and works regularly with at-risk organizations to address digital security challenges. Joshua regularly presents and teaches on topics such as technology strategy, cybersecurity, project, and change management. When I asked him his nonprofit superpower, he said it's helping nonprofits leverage technology to do more, do better, and be more cybersecure. Obviously, a mission very close and dear to my own heart, so let's bring Josh onto the show Hey, Joshua. Hello, Boris. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be on the Nonprofit Hero Factory. This is great. Thanks for finding the time in your busy schedule to do this with us today. Um, I know that there's constant cyber threats. I mean, I read about them all the time. And so I'm sure you're busy pretty much all the time. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, that is the case. Yeah, yeah, I know that actually cybersecurity is one of the most in-demand fields right now, that recruiting is going through the roof, that people are getting poached from one cybersecurity job to another. It's yeah. kind of a crazy time. It, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. The cybersecurity industry is really needs a lot of talent and it, the demand just keeps on growing. So, you know, there's a lot of great organizations trying to build up more cyber talent. But but if anybody's interested in it, we need you. Absolutely. So we're going to go in and break down all of the different uh, aspects of cybersecurity, what's going on out there and what organizations can and should be doing to improve it. But before we do that, Josh, I always like to start by asking, what's your story? How are you the person that you are today? What led you here? Sure. I, I, I grew up, I kind of bounced around a little bit, but grew up largely in the Midwest, but all my family lived in New York and around New York City. And so I visited here a lot as a kid and decided really at the very young age of, I think, 13, that uh, when I was old enough, I would move out here to work with the homeless. And at the age of 22, when I graduated from college, that's exactly what I did. I came out here and actually was a social worker for uh, homeless, mentally ill adults. And the organization that I worked at at the time, which is a Fountain House Incorporated, wonderful a nonprofit that helps uh, real adults, uh, kind of discovered that I had some technology skills. And in the, for those of you who are familiar with the term accidental techie, I was one of the first, you know, uh, all the way back in uh, 1994, they very quickly converted me and my colleague, Kim Snyder, who I still work with today, into accidental techies. We uh, helped build databases, set up networks, build websites. And that, and long story short, uh, led me to ultimately roundtable technology, where I've had the wonderful opportunities to just help so many phenomenal nonprofits with technology, cybersecurity, and, and lots of other things. 
That's cool. So you wanted to do good in the first place um, and then got kind of sidetracked or intentionally tracked. <laughs> yeah, a little both. I mean, the organization, you know, I, I wanted to work with homeless, but, but uh, you know, the organization quickly convinced me that, you know, I could do, given my skills, I could do more good by helping them, you know, leverage technology to the, toward their mission than I could by delivering direct services as a social worker. And I agreed with them and found that work equally rewarding. And so I've been trying to, you know, take the skills that I have and use it to do the most good that I can. And that that's worked well. And, and one thing I want to just make sure I hit on Boris, because I know that uh, you are also a, a theater nerd uh, like uh, myself, although you, you, I think, did it much longer and further into your, your career than I did. I'm sure I have many more accomplishments, but uh, I uh, grew up as a theater, which is kind of like the theater nerd being a gateway to tech nerd, perhaps. But uh, in I was continuing to try to do theater when I was first in New York City. My wife, my brother and I actually were in the New York City Fringe Festival all the way back in 2002. And people can Google this. If you Google my last name, Pesque, and the words in the wire, all right? So Pesque in the wire, you'll actually find a New York Times article from 2002 where we had um, a reporter talk about our play because we depicted how email traveled through the internet. And in 2002, in that, story, which is also referenced in the article, there is a cybersecurity threat, the I love you <laughs> virus, which uh, had been popular the year before, uh, or nefarious the year before, was uh, a part of that play. So uh, technology and theater came together way back then, Boris. That's awesome. I'm going to have to check it out. I think I had left New York for LA around that time. So I probably missed it. Um, actually, you missed a, a fringe festival off, 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 off Broadway show in 2002. But oh, no, uh, all yeah. my friends were doing fringe <laughs> at, at the time. It was, it was the thing to do. It was a great way yeah. to uh, test new plays and, and get people's eyeballs on it. And um, yeah, I had actually done a few shows around technology myself. I, I did a one man show called dialogue where I traced my own evolution in technology, starting from, the TRS-80 Coco Model 2 up to oh, wow. uh, you know, yeah, up to what I was doing at that time and all of the different media, including um, email, including instant messaging, and actually featured a DDoS attack as part of that show, a, a distributed service attack. Yeah, yeah. So it, there's definitely crossover, and uh, you and I will probably uh, geek out over all of that stuff at some point, maybe in the real world, IRL as, as we call it, uh, yeah, sometime. Yeah. But let's talk about what uh, hopefully most of our listeners are more interested in than my own personal theater stories, <laughs> which is cybersecurity and nonprofits specifically. What's going on out there in the world today? What are you seeing from your point of view? Well, first of all, for any nonprofits uh, that are listening or any you know, people at nonprofits that are listening, especially if any part of your job uh, means being responsible for cybersecurity, my sympathies are with you because it's hard and it's difficult. And I know it's something that you're struggling with, or at least most nonprofits that I talk to are really struggling with. It's a, it's a challenge for nonprofits that are not technology companies, uh, are, have trouble uh, even getting technology talent, let alone cybersecurity talent. And so it's a real challenge. And that that's honestly what I'm seeing, Boris, is that organizations are overwhelmed, confused, and unsure of really what is a reasonable uh, level of cybersecurity for them to have. They don't know if they have it. They don't know if they should have it. They don't know what it would look like if they did. And they're getting pressure 
from a lot of different directions. Uh, one of these, you know, we can kind of describe as this uh, bureaucratic direction. So you've got privacy regulations and data regulations such as HIPAA, you know, for pr protected health information. You've got GDPR, uh, CCPA, New York Shield, which are data privacy laws that protect the data of individuals like you and me, Boris, which is nice for you and me that there are laws that are, you know, telling nonprofits that have our data that they should be taking steps to protect it. But for those nonprofits that have all this data and are used to collecting it and keeping it and collecting as much as they can, uh, these regulations really pose some challenges for them around, you know, what they're supposed to do with that data in terms of protecting it and um, getting our consent to keep it, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's one. Uh, the other thing is, if if they're trying to get cyber liability insurance, which is increasingly something that nonprofits really want to have and certainly should have, those cyber liability insurers are asking them some very hard questions about what their cybersecurity and data privacy practices are. And a lot of nonprofits are now, frankly, uninsurable. If they don't have things like multi-factor authentication in place on their major applications, the cyber liability insurers just can say, sorry, we're not even going to give you a policy. Uh, and even if they will give a policy, it's going to be prohibitively expensive. Other places they're getting these kind of pressures are from business partners where those business partners are saying, hey, if we're going to work with you and share information with you, then you need to show us that you're protecting this information in different ways. So we're going to audit you or give you a compliance checklist or a questionnaire. And the nonprofits are wondering what they do with that. And they're not even sure how to answer a lot of the questions if they understand them. Uh, so it's all of these different kind of bureaucratic areas where the nonprofits are getting a lot of pressure to, you know, comply with different standards that are being thrown at them and they, they have a hard time understanding what they mean. On the other side, you've got the pressure coming from, you know, stuff that's in the news all the time, which is the cyber criminal side. So you've got ransomware attacks, you've got what you referenced, distributed denial of service attacks, and you've got what doesn't get talked about, but is honestly the thing that's most impacting nonprofits from, from where we're looking at, which is straight up social engineering and business email compromise, where attackers are in various ways, essentially just asking for money and nonprofits are inadvertently giving it to them. And what that can look like is, hey, you know, this wire transfer that's supposed to go through, instead of going there, it should go here. Or, you know, you know, the new employee that just started last week, uh, we need $1,500 of gift cards right now. Can you please ship those over? And unfortunately, you know, nonprofits who aren't training their staff on a regular basis and putting good practices in place are really vulnerable to these very simple the very effective tactics that criminals are using. Yeah, uh, those are all so spot on, all of the different sides that organizations are having to have to respond to, all of the different ways they're kind of getting um, attacked, death by a thousand paper cuts, if you will. And I do think that phishing, which is what you were just talking about, where someone will impersonate someone within your organization and social engineering, I mean, that's been going on since the very first days, early days of computers and hacking. Um, who was it? Kevin Mitnick? Uh, I don't remember. Kevin Mitnick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, who wrote the book on it, basically, and uh, identified that the weakest link in any cybersecurity chain is actually people. 
people just don't realize how vulnerable they are to these types of attacks. And I know several organizations and for-profit companies who have been attacked in this way, where they'll just get exactly what you said, an email basically saying, hey, I actually need this to go to this address instead. So people are somehow getting passwords one way or another, hacking passwords perhaps, then inserting themselves into conversations that you're already having. So it sounds totally, uh, totally normal. It's not like out of the blue and diverting funds or getting greater access to things and hijacking an organization in so many ways. Why, why is that such a big problem for nonprofits specifically? It's a problem for everyone, but it's a problem for nonprofits. I would say for two reasons, uh, which, which kind of tie back to the core reason, which is just the normal resource constraints that nonprofits have. So I, I use the term accidental techie before, for those of you who don't know what that term is, it's, it's a term within the nonprofit space that describes a role that emerge emerged, I, I first heard it probably 25 years ago, and it still happens in nonprofits where you've got a 10 or 15 person nonprofit. And as you go from three to five to 10 to 15 staff, you develop this need for technology functions in the organization, right? Someone needs to set up the new computers, create the user accounts, manage our Google workspace, manage our Salesforce instance. And there's no designated technology role at the nonprofit because there's only 10 staff. So someone you know, the office manager, you know, the development assistant, you know, sometimes the, you know, the CFO, like gets, winds up with this technology role, not because anyone, you know, said, we're hiring you as a technology person, but because they were the person who seemed the least afraid, right, of taking on this role and the most competent to do it. So that's an accidental techie. And that, is because nonprofits are resource constrained. So it's the point at which they can hire an IT manager, a full-time IT director, or an outsourced company like Roundtable. You know, it's a big financial investment for a nonprofit that's trying to dedicate as much of their resources as they can to delivering their mission and views operational expenses as kind of like this necessary evil, sadly. And adding this technology operational expense can be a real challenge. So that leaves them constrained in the technology space. And then of course, cybersecurity is one element of the cybersecurity space. And you have the same problem in a nonprofit that you have in a business, Boris, which is that cybersecurity in most cases doesn't drive revenue. So no one is donating to a nonprofit because they're the most cybersecure nonprofit out there. So if you're looking to invest resources, you're saying, where's my return on investment for being more cybersecure? It's not raising us more funds, right? So it's hard to make a business case to reduce risk. And so, you know, once they get the the accidental techie emerges because they do need their computers to work, they recognize that. Um, But making them even more secure is like, yeah, it's kind of tough to really do that until, of course, that happens. And then everybody's like, oh, boy, that now we're really in trouble. Yeah, I find that accidental techie phenomenon happening uh, a lot in nonprofits, but it goes beyond techie in in the term of IT and cybersecurity goes into online marketing, goes into so many things. Few people go to school and get uh, degrees or advanced degrees even in these kind of um, marketing and technology fields and then say, I want to apply that to nonprofit. More often, especially in smaller nonprofits, it's people who are coming in because like you, they want to do something good, just like how you started. And then, you know, for so long and still to this day, the the youngest person with a TikTok account is the one who's responsible for the social media. 
Yeah. Similarly, I understand it's happening with technology too. And, you know, it is, as you rightly said, really hard for nonprofits to devote those kinds of resources when cybersecurity experts right now are making so much money because there's such high demand for them among for-profits. How do you compete for that? So I absolutely get that. And it's a really real problem. I also want to add that, you know, whereas a for-profit company, if they get hacked, okay, they might have to pay a ransom. They might have to do something. It might slow them down. They might lose some trust with their consumers. But we're all so used to that right now at this point. I feel like we're almost numb to it that, you know, oh, another 15 million user accounts have been hacked on Facebook. Go change your password or something like that. For a nonprofit, first of all, you're not dealing in that kind of scale. But second of all, for a nonprofit to lose that kind of credibility, if you've got to pay ransom to uh, hackers, that's coming out of especially if you're uninsured, that's coming out of your funds that you raised from donors who want you to spend it on, you know, feeding the homeless, for example, as, as yeah. you were doing. Yep. So, yeah. And I mean, and there's, like a, you know, there's a Wall Street Journal article from a, from earlier this year, you know, about a, a large nonprofit, uh, ironically called Treasure Island, I believe, in, um, in San Francisco, that, you know, business email compromise took them out of about $650,000. And so you imagine that's, you know, main page story in the Wall Street Journal. What's that doing to the confidence of your donors, to your reputational, you know, and reputational damage from these kinds of attacks is really you know, something that's very hard to cost out in terms of what damage that does. But the other thing that's that's kind of not captured, Boris, in the dollar amount that's lost is like how much time was, you know, taken away from mission focus while you're cleaning up after some cyber incident that happened. And, you know, the stress, the morale impact on employee, like it's it's very tough. So, and and the, the, the sad part is, and this is what we can talk about a little bit as we move on, Boris, is that there's really some basic inexpensive simple things that nonprofits can do that reduce their risk dramatically, you know, of, of being, you know, in a cyber attack. And, and it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, not more of them are taking these, these basic efforts because they view them as onerous or not a priority. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Let's get into that. Let's talk about what are the solutions, what should organizations be doing right now? Yeah. So I would say the first thing, right, is to identify who at your organization is going to take on the cybersecurity role. Generally, it's going to be whoever is already your XNL techie or technology person. If you have an outsourced, you know, vendor that you work with, it's great to go have a conversation with them and say, you know, talk to us about cybersecurity. But typically it starts with some kind of basic assessment that you can do. And at Roundtable, we'll, there'll be resources, I believe, in the show notes, Boris. But yeah. we have at, at our website, if you go to surveys.roundtabletechnology.com, we have some self-assessment surveys that you can do to kind of baseline yourself and get some basic findings and recommendations. Uh, a great tool uh, was released by the Ford Foundation called the Cybersecurity Assessment Tool, or CAT. And uh, that will also be in the in the notes, I believe, Boris. That's a great tool that, that people can use. The And that's a great place to start to get a sense of where your risks are. Now, those things will produce reports based on your own self-assessment. You'll answer a bunch of questions and then you'll get a report. But then you, you have work to do, right? You have to look through that report and it's going to be a lot. So I'd really encourage you to work with someone, either, you know, any kind of, you know, uh, 
cybersecurity consultant or a friend on the board or someone you can find who, who knows this stuff a bit and help you prioritize those findings and recommendations and put them on some kind of a timeline, right? And so for example, Boris, if we do an assessment and we find out that you know, you're on Google Workspace and you've got 20 staff and only three people have multi-factor authentication, you know, turned on for their account, right? Then getting that turned on for all of the staff at the organization and enforcing that as a policy is going to be the number one priority because the data is totally clear, you know, enforcing multi-factor authentication on, you know, core things that you use is one of the biggest things you can do. Another thing, if we find out that you're not training your staff on social engineering, on phishing, on using multi-factor authentication, on using strong passwords, like a lot of the stuff you talked about, Boris, that's an extremely low cost thing. Again, we'll have a resource for you where you can get that done for your whole organization for free in one hour right? So all you got to do is get your staff to sign up and attend for that one hour and you can get your staff a training for free. Uh, these are really basic free or low cost things that just take a bit of time to set up that dramatically, I mean, profoundly reduce the likelihood of your organization being victimized by these kinds of attacks. So it's, it's really kind of the basics of making sure, you know, I, I often say there's three things I would start with just to give people really actionable stuff, right? Multi-factor authentication on everything that you possibly can. Start with email, then go to file sharing, then go to your CRM like Salesforce, but get MFA enabled. Um, by the way, on your WordPress admin accounts too, Boris, I know you're a WordPress guy, so I'm sure you'll appreciate that. Um, next thing is train your staff. And then third thing is backups. And uh, going back to, to WordPress, um, something I see in assessments all the time is that uh, organizations either don't have a backup of their uh, website or the only backup they have their website is with the host who's hosting it. And that can be a real problem if the host itself suffers a ransomware attack and their backups are destroyed or encrypted as part of that. Now you, not only is your web host down, but the backup that you would use to go and try to get your website up somewhere else is also down in the same attack. So getting some offline backup of your website that is separate from where it's currently hosted that and having some plan of how you would, you know, what kind of hosting plan do we need? What would be the process for taking that backup and actually getting it live? That's a really good thing to have in place, especially if it happens, you know, like a week before your annual gala, right? Um, like Boris, what do you, uh, what do you do to, to back up the websites for the organizations you work with? Uh, so it depends on how the organization is set up and, and where they're hosted. I always recommend a uh, host. Uh, I recommend SiteGround, and I could link to, to that as well in the show notes, along with every single tool that you're talking about, because they're all so important. Um, SiteGround does daily backups uh, with the plans that, that I have organizations sign up with or host them on. But then, yeah, I will do at least once a month. A, uh, there's a tool, it's free called Duplicator. And with Duplicator, you could create an entire backup of the entire site plus a PHP script, basically a file that you could run that'll restore it anywhere you want to go. So if a host goes down or if something gets hacked, I can, within 15 minutes, have the site back up on, on the same server, on a different server. It really doesn't matter. We point it to the new address and for the rest of the world, it looks like nothing's happened while we can resolve, okay, what happened? How did that hack, you know, even come into place? 
and break things down and keep things running. Um, besides that, of course, I mean, I could talk ad nauseum about WordPress security, but there's a few different functions that I think everybody just to quickly list off should be doing like um, changing your default login um, URL because all WordPress comes with the same one, and that's the easiest point for hackers to try to uh, guess passwords. Yep. <laughs> Slash WP-admin. Uh-huh. Second is, um, and Josh, you and I were talking uh, about this, and you mentioned it uh, as well. You know, people leave admin accounts up. You know, someone came in and did a little bit of work, or someone was working, and then they left, and that admin account stays open. And you don't know what the password was. You don't know if their password keeper gets hacked and then they could come in, you know, whoever gets it and and hijack everything you're doing. So checking and making sure that only the right users have the right levels of access and you could get really fancy with that. But I think more than anything, and this is what you were talking about before, Joshua, it's a matter of education because the most frustrating thing to me, and I try not to uh, reveal how frustrating it is when I'm talking to clients, is passwords and knowing how important it is to actually have a secure password. Every organization thinks, oh, we're not gonna get hacked. What are the odds that somebody's gonna guess my dog's name? Well, guess what? If it's a simple password, they don't have to guess it. They've got a dictionary of millions of common names and words that they're going to barrage into your server at a rate of a couple thousand a second until yeah. they break it open. Yep. So yeah, no. number one is that education piece. Yeah. And, and listen, I know, you know, folks that, that are listening to this may be feeling a little bit overwhelmed, like we're giving all this work to do. And I want to kind of, you know, say, hey, first of all, take a breath, calm down. And, you know, you want to approach this like you would, let's say, like a fitness program, right? Where if, if I'm not in shape and, you know, I'd like to get fit, you know, physically fit, um, I have some upfront work to do to kind of start doing some exercise, eating a little healthier, you know, and doing stuff. And maybe in three to six months, I can reach a sort of level of fitness that I feel a little bit healthier and less at risk of, you know, having a heart attack or, you know, other bad things happening to me. Uh, but if I don't continue doing some level of maintenance and, and, you know, exercise and diet, then I will fall out of shape again, right? So it requires to do cybersecurity, you know, you're not going to run a marathon tomorrow. And you also don't need to run a marathon, you just need to like, you know, do a nice, easy 5k, like, and be able to do that, you know, on an ongoing basis. That's the level of fitness you're looking to get to as a nonprofit, right? Unfortunately, most of the nonprofits right now, if I asked you to go do a nice, easy 5k, you'd be, you know, huffing, and <laughs> puffing by, you know, the first kilometer. So the idea is to get started, identify where your most vulnerable points are, right? Go after those, do it in a reasonable, right? And sustainable timeline and fashion, and then continuously be looking at, okay, you know, now that we've got MFA enabled, well, well what's our next week point? Oh, let's review our WordPress admin accounts. So next month, we're going to make sure we clean up those WordPress admin accounts and enforce multi-factor on everything. And then the next month, we're going to make sure we're backing up. We're going to set up that duplicator process and make sure we've got a backup of our website and a plan to restore it. Next month after that, we're going to make sure we train our staff and set up something so that we're training them every month or every quarter. Um, after that, we're going to maybe deploy password managers to our staff and get them to use that. After that, we're going to go look to cyber, cyber liability insurance. So you've got a one-year plan where you, all you need to do is one thing each month, and it doesn't feel so overwhelming. But a year from now, 
you're in a totally different place than you were now and you have this practice that you're doing. So that's that's what I want people to, to kind of think about. It's man, it, you can do it. It is sustainable and manageable. Just don't try to do it all tomorrow. I love the comparison of a fitness plan. Uh, I know that it's January when this episode is playing for those of you who may be watching or listening to it later on. And, you know, January is the month that gyms love because they get so many signups. It's a new year resolution. And I think that this could also be a new year's resolution for organizations is to create a cybersecurity fitness plan with these commitments to, as you're going along throughout the year, I, I think you're, what you're advising, I think is absolutely brilliant, which is make a plan that is simple and easy enough to follow along rather than trying to fix everything at once and, and feeling overwhelmed. Um, yeah. Triaging, essentially, what are your biggest risk factors? Um, I still think that training is the number one thing. So maybe in January, you commit to having your entire staff watch a one hour video on on cybersecurity practices, right? I think that's going to already take you to, to huge uh, new plateau from which you could then climb further and further. Absolutely. Joshua, and, is there and I plug that. Yeah. Like like uh so we at Roundtable offer an annual training. So we call it very modestly the best free one hour cybersecurity awareness training ever. This year will be our sixth annual best free one hour cybersecurity awareness training ever. It's gonna be on January 27th. Me and my uh, longtime colleague Destiny Bowers do it together as a two person show. We try to make it really fun, really entertaining, really funny. We actually, not only is it free for your entire organization to attend, but we offer cash prizes. Uh, we do a quiz at the end. It's a competitive quiz. So the hundreds of people that attend the webinar all can compete with each other. And you can win up to $100 by simply attending the webinar and you know getting first place in that quiz. And uh, in other years, we've given you know little $25 prizes for people during the webinar for whoever's first in the chat with the answer to a question or something like that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We'll, we'll have a link in the show note. And it really is a really fun time and a hugely important thing you can do for your organization. Sounds like a holiday party uh, to start off the new year with yeah. prizes and quizzes. Yeah, yeah. All those kinds of things. I think that's awesome. Um, and I'm glad that you are making it free to everybody, including everybody at the entire organization. Is there anybody who you don't think needs to take that kind of a training within an organization or should it just be everybody from top to bottom? I think it's, you know, a lot of the regulatory compliance, you know, guidelines that we talked about before laws actually require that everybody in your organization complete a cybersecurity awareness training. So many of you, if you're in New York and you're subject to New York Shield, you are required to be training your staff at least once a year. So we actually, you can satisfy that requirement by having every single staff person in your organization register for our webinar with your organizational email. And if you ask us, we'll send you the list of everybody that registered with your organization's email who attended the webinar. And you can have that as proof that you've met this requirement of these various compliance laws. So everybody at your organization should, should take this training. 
awesome. I think I'm going to sign up to, to take it myself to see if there's anything that I should be aware of that I'm not already, that's not already on my radar. I know you guys are doing great work on this uh, in this field. So why not learn from you as well? Joshua, yeah. thank you so much. I know actually as we're recording this, I know that there's some severe cyber threats that are currently going on that um, <laughs> I'm probably distracting you from. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna let you get going. But thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about all of these uh critical areas that nonprofits may not be devoting enough of their time to uh, and brain power to uh, address. Yeah. Well, Boris, thank you so much for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with someone who understands these issues, you know, really deeply and cares about them and is doing so much good for the nonprofit space. And I, for all those nonprofits out there, I get it. It's hard. You've got your missions to pursue. I'm not asking you to do a ton, but just do a little bit on an ongoing basis, I promise it's enough and it will get you better, but you gotta do it. Awesome. Thank you everybody for joining us today. I hope Joshua and I didn't scare you too badly in terms of cybersecurity, but it is really an important topic and there are practical steps that you can take. And we're gonna have links to all of those resources in the show notes, as well as a summary of everything that we talked about to make it as easy as possible for you guys to really secure your online presence so that you can maintain your trust, so that you don't have to worry about giving up hard-earned resources to cyber criminals, and so that ultimately you can then create more heroes for your cause. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.